0: Host of children back there today. You are welcome. <laughs> this morning, as we gather, uh, we are doing so in a season where we are on a path. We are being. Uh, we are considering. Who we are as a church, and a, and kind of a new body of believers, if you will, right? What we've discovered is over the last three years, uh, uh, things have kind of changed, uh, the shape of things have changed, uh, who we are as a body, and, um, and so we are uh, seeking to identify the opportunities for discipleship, worship, fellowship, and service that, uh, that we who we are right now, that we want to, uh, what we're calling, seize upon these opportunities. Um, and as we do so, last week we set out some guiding principles uh, for us. Uh, uh, our guiding principles, if I can remember them off the top of my head, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a feat. Uh, I have them written down somewhere, uh, but uh, but let's see if I can't uh, if I can't remember them. Are y'all with me on this, right? Guiding principle number one is everything is discipleship driven, All right? Discipleship drives everything. And what we mean by that is not only is that our intent to make disciples, but anything that we do is as us, we who are disciples, it comes from us being shaped and formed more in the character, uh, the quality, the life of Jesus. Uh, what I would say is we, to, to juxtapose this against another thought process, we don't do anything just to get people in the door. Right? And so everything that we do, we're going to say it's shaped and it's formed us into the character of Christ, and this is what we believe will help shape and form others in the character of Christ. Now, when we say this, uh, we, we don't have our noses up in high piety And just think the only way that we're shaped and formed into the character of christ is whenever we are sitting down like good boys and girls with our bibles opened and we are you know uh eating the word you know we're being fed and taught that way if we remember jesus he discipled his he walked with his disciples in all walks of life right sometimes they just did some adventures together right they uh on those adventures, whenever they went across the Sea of Galilee, uh, they traveled a lot together. Uh, some days the disciples came in, and they weren't on their best—they weren't on their best behavior that day. All right? Sometimes uh, uh, he. One day, he stopped by a well because he was tired, and his disciples were obviously hungry. They went into town to get some food. They came back with the provisions, and while they had been gone, Jesus had gotten into a conversation with this woman who had, who had endured some hard, hard realities of life. And then she went to go uh, tell other people about Jesus, and the disciples said, But we're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> they, they put it off like we all do. Oh, don't you want to eat, Master? Hey, Jesus, we brought you food, but we know what re- was really probably going on, don't we? They wanted to eat. So when we say it's discipleship-driven, we are not talking about just you know, us sitting there um, you know, uh, singing our songs and uh, opening up the Word. When we say discipleship-driven, it could be us going on a camping trip together. Right? Uh, I want us to understand the full breadth of, of these terms. Uh, so everything is positively, it's discipleship driven. Um, do y'all remember number two? Thank you. One of us. Will you say it one more time? Now. <laughs> Congregationally <laughs> championed is how I put it. But what did you just say, Brother Sam? Driven, yeah. What we mean by this is this comes from the life of our church. It's not just a, a program or a vision that, 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 that I see and I go, hey, church, let's all get behind this uh, agenda or this objective. Uh, here's what I will promise to you as a pastor. I, w- I do pay attention to these things. I do get vision. I do get some, um, some drive behind these things. But here's what I'm going to promise to do from now on is I'm not going to lead these endeavors uh, in that sense. I'm going to find somebody who wants to get behind an endeavor before we ever move forward with it, right? It's one thing for me to have the vision, for me to have the, uh, the drive, the passion, the energy for it, and to see the possibility of it. But really, here's the, the beautiful thing about this, is, is, is this church is not about me. Uh, this church is all of us. Together, working in hand in hand, heart in heart, walking in lockstep with one another to make disciples of all different types of people. And so, uh, so uh, even if I have the vision for something, what I will do is I will seek out one of you uh, courageous individuals, one of you brilliant partners in the gospel, uh, one of you who can gather a team, who can lead the charge. And guess what? If we don't have somebody to, from our congregation who is going to drive it, we're not going to do it. We're just going to say, hey, it's a great idea. It's a great opportunity. It's not ours right now. Now think about this. Think about this. A lot of times, you can look around the church and go, "Man, I wish we had a, a youth department." Well, that doesn't just happen, right? Like you have to have somebody who's who's driven, who has some passion, who has a, a desire to go. Hey, I want to. I want to bring some teenagers together, and I want to. And I want to. You know, I, I just want to love on them. I want to teach them. I want to train them. I want to make disciples out of them. Right? It's one of those situations where if we do this, it it, it has to come from. Our congregation and the reason why we say this is not just so that well you got to carry your load too well no it's not that it is there's no sustainability if it doesn't come from our congregation there's no vitality if it doesn't come from our congregation uh, and, and then if you think about it as well uh it doesn't work best uh, it doesn't work best. It doesn't operate the most efficiently, the most effectively, the most fruitfully. If it's not something that, that, that we as a congregation have passion and energy and drive and vision for. So everything's congregational championed. Uh, the two negatives were this. Competition is condemnation. We live in a hyper competitive world in a hyper competitive market. Uh, the church has taken its place amongst that hyper competitive market. Should the church have done this? Nay. Nay. But we find that you can you you can, actually, you, you, you you can actually be led and we can be deceived to think that we have to compete with new hope community church or with the friend church or any of these other churches in our community that we don't have as many or if we don't have more people or we don't have more programs we don't have more stuff going on than they do then then we're falling behind and we're losing but here's the reality is we are not in competition with other congregations in our community what we want to do is find ways in which we can complement each other not compete against each other where We can strive together. One, uh, Jeanette Black. I, I, she was in our church in uh, the summer, and she leads tweens uh, on Thursday afternoons. It's for fifth graders. They've been doing it for like eighteen years. Um, it used to be whenever the whenever bells and wind song used to be fifth and sixth graders. It was fifth and sixth graders, and the sixth grade went off to uh, the sixth grade center at the junior high. So then it was fourth and fifth graders, and then they had like you know way too many kids and not enough volunteers, and so they just have it at fifth graders um, and. For like the last several weeks, they've had you know more than seventy fifth graders who show up there after school from um, Winsong, uh, from bells and from windsong. Um, there's a whole a gaggle of kids who ride their bikes. They meet at a, uh, at the Wiley House over there on Cedarwood and uh, uh, on Thursday mornings at seven fifteen, and they ride their bikes to school, and uh, it is. Uh, it's a it's a throwback, it's a harkens back to a, a a a time that we all remember whenever kids used to all you know walk and ride themselves to school, um and uh and it's fun to see that. But it's also a little dangerous. Uh, one of the kids uh flipped over his handlebars the other day and has had a big old goose egg um in the afternoon, and I my heart was racing for this kid, and he acted like there was no problem with it. He's a lot tougher than I am. Um, but uh, Jeanette Black, uh, who leads tweens, uh, showed up at our church whenever she was on sabbatical this summer, and, um, and then she called me uh, a couple days before tweens started the semester, and she said, how would you like to come and participate in tweens with us? We're always looking for volunteers. She said, you can come just hang out with the kids, and then we'll put you on the teaching rotation. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I pastor Friendswood Baptist Church. And that's where my allegiance is. Right? Does that sound silly if I would have said that? How silly would it be if I said, oh, you went to a Bible study somewhere else? (laughs) (laughs) So, I've had the great pleasure of being at tweens and meeting these fifth graders And interacting with them. And my son Asher is there. And I made sure. I said Asher is it going to be okay. If your dad comes. And Asher. um, Because I guess he thinks. That I'm still cool yet. uh, He's like yeah that's cool dad. He said just don't embarrass me. And uh, I held up to no part of that bargain. Um, I'm I'm, I'm actively uh, trying to fight against that. So competition is condemnation. The other thing is. Nothing is done for notoriety. This is us as a church. We, churches talk to people about this all the time. You're not supposed to be doing it for notoriety. But then churches are guilty of doing it themselves. Well, we're going to go market all the... the old, did we tell you how we're ministering to the homeless? Did we tell you all the good things that we're doing? Which is, In part, it's like, okay, it's cool that you, you, you want people to know like, there is life going on here. But here's the deal. If we're going to get notoriety, let somebody else give it to us. We don't have to shamelessly self-promote. All the things that we're doing. And then here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. We better be careful about getting notoriety. Uh, What My mom uh, has always warned against uh, people who uh, begin to believe their own press. We have to be careful about it. Um, Here's the deal. We want to be known as disciples of Jesus. Making a difference in our community. Impacting lives. Transforming people with the good news. We don't want to be known as the church that has it all together. The 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 congregation where we're doing it right and we have our, you know our heads way up in the clouds about how, how, how well and how right we're doing it. We don't want to be known as, oh, well, we're just a little church and we're doing it better because we're a little church. That's ridiculous. Notoriety, nothing is done for notoriety. And that's as a church, that's as individuals. That's something we all have to guard against. We know. So those are the four guiding principles. Here's what we want to do this week is we want to look at uh, a few different paradigms when we look at uh, the Great Commission. Y'all know the Great Commission, right? Uh, It's up there on the screen, Brother Will, if you'll bring it up. Uh, We have it several different places in Scripture. Today we're going to look particularly at Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, or 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, and he said, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then Jesus says, go ye. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And look, I'm sending you out. I'm telling you to go. But I'm with you. I am with you always. Always. Even unto the end of the world or the age. Even to the end of this present evil age, as Paul calls it. And then Jesus says, that's it. And we can assume at this point, stepped on a cloud. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, that is the image there. So, what we want to do this morning is, last week we looked at some guiding principles that, uh, that we want to kind of help put some, put some uh, uh, curbs, if you will, uh, some, 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 some good uh, uh, you know, lead, uh, lead post for us to follow. Uh, this week, what we want to do is consider some new paradigms, and they might not be new to you. Uh, but some of them were to me even very recently, but new paradigms in the Great Commission. First one is this. Make disciples. Uh, Jesus says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, anybody who's been part of Friends of the Baptist Church for any length of time should know that we understand that teach to be its proper Greek usage, which is to make disciples. It comes from the Greek word, from the Greek uh, uh, root word of what a disciple is. It says, make disciples. Now, if you are part of Friends of the Baptist Church for any number of time, you know that this is not a new paradigm. But for those of you who do not understand or might not have been here very very long, what we mean when we say make disciples is we are not people who just want people to say a prayer. We are not satisfied with having a big rally. And at the end of that big rally where we, uh, where we sing and where we preach and where uh, the gospel is proclaimed, uh, we go, oh man, a bunch of people said a prayer. We are, we are glad when those things happen, but that is not, our call is not to get people to say a prayer confessing Jesus is Lord. That is part of it, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is to get them uh, who have confessed that Jesus is Lord uh, to engage in an intimate, intentional relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why I... frame it and say we're not just here to get people to say a prayer is because for the last 70 or so years in western American evangelical culture we have taken this call to make disciples and we've reduced it to people agreeing to a list of suppositions do you believe that God loves you Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you confess that you're a sinner? Do you trust that Jesus can save you? Well, then say this prayer. And hear me. Many of us said that prayer. Amen? Amen. Right? The problem is not in the prayer. The problem is when we go, they said the prayer. I said this time and time again for Baptists especially who were so uh, uh, critical of Catholics who you would say uh, do you have a relationship with God? And they would say yeah I have a relationship with God. Well how do you know that you had a relationship with God? Well because I was baptized when I was a baby. We'd be so critical of that. I've I've seen it experienced. I've heard it experienced. People who have gone, do you have a relationship with God? Do you trust Jesus? Yes. How? What's the evidence? What's the proof of that? I said a prayer. Now, do I believe that the prayer is a good entryway into a saving, uh, life-altering, life uh, Uh, Character-transforming walk and relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. Uh, Do I trust that God is merciful to those who say prayers? Yes, I do. Do I believe that we as a church are only called to get people to say a prayer? No, I don't. We are called to, to do much more than that. We're called to get them to know who Jesus is and model their lives after his. And so make disciples is the paradigm. That is not only the paradigm. If you know anything about this, uh, this, this, this wonderful statement, y'all probably had it, heard it taught on and preached on a number of times, you know that that is the imperative. The imperative of this text is to... Make disciples. And so, there's that. Here's number two. Go to people who are different from you. Go and make disciples of all nations. We have heard these words so often. We are so familiar with them that it just rolls off of... It just rolls off the tongue when we say it, even in the, you know, our, uh, we just hear it uttered. We could just say, oh, here Jesus says these things and they're just easily said and the disciples easily took them. But what we should understand is whenever Jesus said of all nations, there would have been a big old lump in their throat trying to swallow that. This is, this is news. Up until this point, Jesus' disciples have been instructed, you go to the lost sheep of Israel. And now Jesus says to them, hey, I want you to go make disciples of all nations. And as we read and study the book of Acts, we understand that it took them a while not only to get behind that task, but it took them a while to accept that task. The great story of Peter and this and this uh, this picnic that 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 God tried to you know Jesus offered him there um, uh, this blanket that came down it had all types of unclean animals on it. That story reveals to us that Peter, the leader, the the first like kind of key critical leader, not the only one, but the the the, the one that kind of uh, he was uh, he was a spokesman for the group, if you will. But Peter. It took him some getting used to this idea that they were going to go not to just Jews who lived in other places, who had other um, uh, dialect, who had other uh, culture. We talked last week a little bit about the, the difference between the Hellenist and the, um, uh, uh, and the Hebrews. Um, uh, the Hellenist Jews and the Hebrew Jews, they, they had different language. They, uh, the Hellenist Jews had adopted Greek culture. Uh, uh, just for a couple of Jews to accept the Hellenist was something. If you want to understand this, think about this, think about in America, you have people from the North and you have people from the South. And if you're from the South, God blessed you, didn't he? Right? He gave you, I'm just joking. <laughs> if you're from the South, that's how you feel. Look at us. We're from the South. If you are from Texas and you're not from ain't Texas, right? Or you might be from the North, and you feel like, man, you poor Southerners. Y'all are so backwards. Y'all say y'all. That's not even a word, right? We understand that there's differences there, and that those differences have created conflicts, Uh, we also understand in our day and age that there's differences whenever you think about political ideologies we are in a very tenuous moment in our american history where we have some very polarized people who are wanting to take militaristic action against other americans they want a homogenized america which is kind of interesting Because for so long, the dream was not a homogenized America, was it? It was a diverse population where everybody was able to, in freedom, in freedom, live in community with one another. Which requires us to have a level of respect and decency towards one another. uh, Which requires us... uh, to put up with people who are different from us. What I think is interesting is you know, I do not believe that America is God's nation. Uh, it, it's not the new Israel, right? Oh, we've, been, we've been given so, many, uh, so much uh, affluence and wealth. And if we wanted to say, hey man, that's, that's how you know God's with you. Well, Rome had so much affluence and wealth. They owned the whole world. No, we don't look back and look at Rome and go, oh my goodness, Look, look at the look at the nation that God created. look at the empire that God created. In fact, we look back at Rome and we go, man, you know, the Jews needed to be liberated from them well, we don't think that of our own selves uh, too often uh the uh, uh, America has been co-opted or the gospel has been co-opted uh, to uh, support and protect this idea of the, uh, uh, the God is uniquely and particularly for America and against others. Uh, And what we know about God is he's for everybody. He's not against any of us. What we know about God revealed in Jesus is the God revealed in Jesus uh, uh, has a desire for people who don't know him and who don't know that they even need him to meet him. A little bit of a tangent there. But we understand this idea of there being differences even amongst us, if you will. The disciples had to jump through those hurdles before they could even get to the point to where now they're going beyond Jews. Nations, the Greek word is ethnos, ethnos to different ethnicities. Not just to the Jews, but to all ethnicities. Now here's how I would like us to frame that. Or here's, let me say this. Here's one way in which this is a new paradigm for me. We are a mission minded church we have been uh, for uh, most of our existence and we will continue to be a church that uh, that is fully be behind uh, sending the gospel throughout all the nations right and we will pray for our missionaries we will financially support our missionaries uh, and, and we will we will back them and then we will endeavor upon our own mission endeavors to foreign nations but here's what I want us to think about as a kind of maybe a new paradigm. In Friendswood, Texas, it is popular to go to church. This morning, across the city, there are thousands upon thousands of people who are going to church. They're singing the songs, they are worshiping. There are people who are doing it uh, for all sorts of reasons, all of them good. Uh, Some very few people who are doing them for nefarious reasons. Uh, Some people who are doing it and they don't even know really why they're doing it. They're just there. That's just part of their culture, part of who they are. We can be sure. Uh, One thing that is, that happens in Friendswood, Texas, I know is that churches grow by getting people from other churches. And uh, I am thankful for people who have come to our church from other churches. We, we have an understanding, and the way I understand it is, uh, is the Lord leads people in and the Lord leads people out. Some people are here for a day, some people are here for a season, some people are here for the rest of their life. If it's true for us, it's true for anywhere else. But here's where I'm getting to. It's easy to target. It's easy, like when we think about what we're going to do as a church, it's easy to target other people who go to other churches. Let's just make our program a little bit bit better. But if we are to go make disciples of people who are different from us, then we need to consider those who are not darkening the doors of a church this morning. If we're gonna go make disciples of people who are different from us, that means that we're gonna have to sit down with somebody who has different political ideologies than us and our goal not to get them to change their mind on their political ideologies, but our goal to love them To respect them for who they are, to give them dignity and decency as human beings, and through that to let them know about the God who put on flesh and blood to walk the road that they are walking, that they are struggling to walk. Because this life is hard. They are suffering. They are dealing with addictions. They are dealing with uh, body dysmorphia. Uh, They are dealing with identity issues. They are dealing with the fact that they have a big, nice house and everything looks good on the outside, but they are bipolar and they are battling depression on the daily. Do you hear me? I have some great friends. I'm just going to share something with you. I have a lot of great friends in this community. One of the things that I've been struggling with that has been made me a little discouraged over uh, the little bit of time uh, these past couple months is that um, uh, uh, a lot of my friends were at one church, and for, for a particular reason, they all left over a season. And these people who I... Uh, uh, have fun with. We go on adventures. We go, uh, we, we work out together. We, um, we, we know each other. We're vulnerable and we're, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're transparent with one another. We know each other really, really well. We're good, good, solid friends. A lot of these friends of mine, um, uh, whenever they decided to go to church, they didn't even try us out and they have different reasons for that. And it hurts a little bit, truth be told. Uh, And I've been able to share this with some of them, so it's not even just that like this is news or whatever. But here's something that the Lord was dealing with me about recently. All my friends could come here and they're rock stars. They know the Lord. They love the Lord. They are seeking to uh, shape their children's lives to look like Jesus. They, they, are, they can step into any, any ministry, any church in this, in this city, and people are going to want them. To, they're going to be involved. They're going to volunteer. They're going to serve. They're going to do all the things. And I hope they do, and I know they will. And they could have all gathered around here, and you know what we would have had? A really cool social club. In the name of Jesus. Because we're friends anyways, aren't we? And the Lord said, I know you feel a little discouraged about this, my, my son, but I want you to remember who you're... You getting your friends to church to become part of Friends of the Baptist Church can just be you trying to get all the people who are like you to sign up. And I'm not calling you to get all the people who are like you. I'm calling you to go to those people who you you have an aversion to go into. Those people who you might not even have any sympathy for. Those people who you don't really want at your house on Friday night. Imagine that. So whenever I say go to different people who are different from you, it's a personal thing for me to consider what are we trying to do when we are building a church? And then I would say this, just as much as, uh, you know, there's this dream of America being homogenized has, has taken shape. That's taking shape in the church too. And if we read the first century letters to these churches, they were not homogenized. They were a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds trying to figure out how they made life together make sense. Because they were united, not in, well, we're all Republicans. Cool. Wow. Neat. They were united in, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that he is at the right hand of the Father. We believe that his authority supersedes that of Caesar in Rome. We believe that Jesus didn't have a unique particular affinity only for the Jews. We believe that Jesus has a unique particular affinity for every last one of us. And so, yeah, we have to sit down at table with people who used to who used to go to temple prostitutes. And we can't even wrap our minds around what it might look like to go to temple prostitutes. Could you imagine a Jew, an old stock Orthodox Jew who has lived by the purity laws of the Ten Commandments, sitting down with somebody who was a temple prostitute? And sharing in the body and the blood of Jesus. Wow, that is something, isn't it? That's amazing. The church should be filled with a whole bunch of different, unique, diverse individuals that come together in the name of Jesus who are all trying to be shaped and formed into the character of Christ. Not the political ideology of one or the other. Uh, no, we didn't even do it all on political ideologies growing up. You know what we did it on? Well, are you going to wear a shirt and tie? Are you going to have the King James Version Bible? Or is yours red letter edition? Are you going to be at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Because those are the people who weren't what, what were what we are trying to do. We're trying to shape and form into this mold. But our mold is not any of those things. And none of those things were bad in and of themselves. But our mold is to be going and making disciples of Jesus and going to people who are different from us. The imperative is make disciples, but go is part of that imperative. Actually, earlier on, this same expression is kind of used by Herod whenever he says to the people, Go to Bethlehem and search out for Jesus. He's not sitting there saying, hey, you know, just as you're casually walking around, if you spot this little you know, three-year-old baby, um, bring him to me. He says, I want you to go hunt and search for Jesus. So go make disciples of all nations. Part of the imperative is that we are going to people who are different from us. And then the last thing, and I want to thank Miss Connie Munchback for this last thing. We were sitting at lunch several weeks ago. And she was talking about Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard, uh, if you don't, aren't familiar with him, we, we read uh, Renovation of the Heart as a, as a church um, a few years ago. But, uh, but uh, Dallas Willard was a brilliant, um, faithful uh, person who was really big on spiritual disciplines being shaped and formed into the character of Jesus. And he was really big on discipleship. And... Uh, and she was talking about uh, how she was going through this study um, and, um, and a, a line came up from Dallas Willard and she had to like stop and pause and go like, I've never heard it that way. So we know the Great Commission tells us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If I were to ask you what baptism is, somebody tell me what baptism is not all at once, dunk them in water, dunk them in water right, because we're Baptist, and you know what we do, we, we baptize them, we, we fully submerge them, because that's part of it, right, and we, we, we don't do it when they're babies, because they would drown, they can't, you know, like, well, we do it whenever they're believers, whenever they've made a confession, right. These are the things, these are the points that we put behind baptism. And none of those are untrue. We fully trusted those in and those, and, and those qualities of baptism. But here is the thing that was so revelatory. was Dallas Willard says, whenever I'm talking about baptism, or whenever it's talking about baptism, he says, you, we can't just think about dunking somebody in water. And the way he expresses it is this way: He says we're talking about immersing, immersing somebody uh, in trinitarian, in full trinitarian fellowship. Now I don't even trinitarian fellowship. That sounds like way beyond something that I can even begin to expound. So I had to dumb that down for a fellow like me, and I had to think through it because the idea was this: You're not just talking about putting people under water. That is, that is the act of baptizing somebody. But if you go deeper into this, you're talking about immersing people in the loving authority and character of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, let's think about this. How many people know that God actually likes them? You know, whenever I think about different people, people who are different from us. Um, that's a big difference. And there's a lot of people who grew up in various churches, various traditions, various denominations, and they, don't, they think God might like, love me, but he doesn't like me very much. And so when we think about loving authority, we believe that God is the author of everything. We believe that God is the one who is in charge of everything. We believe that he has given uh, rightful leadership, authority, power, ruling authority to his son Jesus. But that authority is not wielded like Vladimir Putin's authority. Or like Adolf Hitler's authority. Uh, And we have to think about authority like that. um, but we also can think it's not uh, wielded like the sleazeball authority of of our governing officials has often been, where it looks like it's all for us, but they are profiteering off of every endeavor that they, they every every legislative endeavor that they go about. That's what I mean by sleazeball, right? He loves us. He loves every last one of us. He loves the person who right now, who right now believes that they are the wrong sex and the wrong body. He's not going to start loving them whenever they figure out that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. He loves them right now. He loves the one right now uh, who is planning and preparing to take their life. He loves them. Uh, You know who he loves? He loves the racist bigot right now, loves them fully, loves them deeply. Now, his love for them doesn't say, oh, it's okay, you can be a racist bigot. But guess what? They're not gonna stop being a racist bigot because you say, stop being a racist bigot. Because that's all rooted in this idea that they don't know that they are loved from the very foundation of this world. They're not going to stop being LGBTQ because you tell them, hey, science isn't behind you. Guess what? Or God, God doesn't like that. You know what? God will bear with that. If he will bear with me, he will bear with them. Amen? He loves and it is through us revealing his loving authority and us immersing people in his loving authority that transfer I believe that's where transformation starts we can all have our talking points we can all have our scientific uh, you know uh, uh, disagreements all of our philosophical disagreements but the fact of the matter is is this whole thing is rooted in love the loving authority the loving character of the father of the Son and of the Spirit. So, my brothers, my sisters, as we endeavor to identify opportunities which we want to seize upon, I want us to keep these paradigms, maybe new deep, in the forefront of our minds, our hearts. Everything we do is to follow the imperative command make disciples. We are to go make disciples of people who we like, who we find affinity with, yes. But we, are, we should uh, keep our, or prepare ourselves to go to those who are different. Because part of the imperative command is to go to all nations, go to different ethnicities, go to different ideologies, go to different sexualities. Uh, go to different competencies, Go, 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 go! And we are not here not only not just to get people uh, we are not here just to get people to say a prayer and we're not here just to say we dunked them in water. We are here to immerse them fully into the loving authority and character. Of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. And with that, I say, Amen. Amen.